evening and welcome to Unbreak Your Health, the podcast program about the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'm Alan Smith in Plano, Texas, author of Unbreak Your Health, the complete guide to complementary and alternative therapies. And tonight our topic is hypnosis and our guest is Dr. Mark Weisberg the incoming vice president of the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis and the past president of the Minnesota Society of Clinical Hypnosis. Among his many achievements and recognitions, he earned his Ph.D. in clinical psychology, his board certified in clinical health psychology, and he's a recipient of the President's Award from the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. You hear people talking about being mesmerized, and that's a term that comes from Franz Anton Mesmer many, many years ago. How did his original technique lead to the development of hypnosis? I think more important than his particular technique, he was really more interested in the notion that people could achieve alternate states of consciousness, alternate ways of thinking, alternate ways of feeling and perceiving. And through his studies and his writings, although the actual practice of mesmerism per se has gone through drastic overhaul, I think he was important in at least introducing to a wider public this notion that there can be other states of consciousness and experience and other ways to feel. Interestingly, you know, his theory involved energy and how energy runs through the body, and it's, in a way it's kind of back to the future because now with what we know about acupuncture and what we know about energy medicine, there are actually electromagnetic currents that we, you know, we, we measure it in traditional medicine through a CT scan or through an EEG, and uh, he was ahead of his time in recognizing some of that stuff. So he was very important, I think, in just opening the idea that we can have different ways of thinking and perceiving. Hypnosis has been around for a long time, hasn't it? Thousands of years. So this is not a New Age recent development by any means? Not at all. Interestingly, in the last... 50 years in particular, there's been a renewed interest, and interestingly, in, in the past 20, 25 years, as we've seen an increase in you know, new technologies for understanding how the brain works, CT scans, MRIs, functional MRIs, things like that, we've actually been able to document scientifically how hypnosis works on the brain, what kinds of structures it affects, and how it can create physical and psychological change. What exactly is hypnosis? You know, that's a, uh, it's a simple and profound question. Academicians in this area d- debate about it, but kind of boiled down to its simplest form, hypnosis is really just a state of highly focused concentration and attention in which someone is able to kind of block out their external attention to external reality orientation and so that other parts of the mind and brain are more receptive to suggestions. That's really what it breaks down to, a heightened state of attention where someone's more open to different kinds of suggestions. How does it work? We still are discovering that, although I think in general what we can say is that in the, in the state of hypnosis, suggestions are given that help to quiet the conscious mind, and by that we mean the parts of the brain that are ordinarily involved in rational conscious thoughts. So in the left hemisphere, the temporal lobes, the frontal lobes that we usually use for rational thought and concentration are quieted. And other parts on the right hemisphere, the, the right frontal and temporal and some structures underneath the cortex can get activated so that suggestions for healing, suggestions for pain relief, suggestions for improved mood and increased, decreased anxiety can work effectively. 
What are some of the differences between the different types of hypnosis, like suggestion hypnosis or uh, mental imagery hypnosis or self-hypnosis? When we're teaching people about hypnosis, what we remind them is that really all hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So if a, if a doctor is doing hypnosis with a patient, what I'm really doing is I'm teaching them how to bring them into a self-hypnotic state. So there are many different types of techniques within the realm of hypnosis. There might be suggestions for skin temperature to change or suggestions for tension to reduce or for certain symptoms to diminish. Or you mentioned imagery. Uh, one popular usage is to suggest images in the trance state that the person will use for resolving a certain problem. It's important to recognize that although hypnosis seems kind of exotic, it's really very commonplace, and in fact, we all experience hypnotic phenomena all the time. If you're on a vacation and you're enjoying yourself, time seems to go really quickly. That's time distortion, which is a normal hypnotic phenomena. Alternatively, if we're in a really boring lecture, it feels like time takes forever. That's time distortion, too. If you're running to catch a plane because you're late and you get you finally get onto your seat on the plane, realize you have a pebble in your shoe that is uncomfortable but you didn't notice it. That's distraction, which is another normal hypnotic phenomena. Or we've all seen where a child falls and skins their knee and they start crying and they jump into the arms of their mother and father and they kiss the boo-boo and what happens? Pain goes away. Altered perception, which is another normally occurring hypnotic phenomena. So in clinical hypnosis, what we're, all we're really doing is utilizing these already naturally occurring hypnotic phenomena for a healing function of one sort or another. You mentioned several different types of hypnosis phenomena, but what does it really feel like to be hypnotized? That's a good question. A few things I guess I'd say. One is many people will experience a state of relaxation and calm although hypnosis does not necessarily have to include relaxation. Hypnosis, when it's used, for example, with athletes or for performance enhancement, we may do something that's called active alert hypnosis, where the person, rather than being sitting with their eyes closed in a very quiet, relaxed state, might actually be doing some type of athletic activity or exercise, but still be in that focused state of attention. Relaxation and calm is often part of it. Patients will, with an eye treat will often discover or describe that it feels like the time went much more quickly than it actually did, which is an example, again, of that notion of uh, time distortion. Most people find it to be very pleasant and find that they're more open to experiencing different kinds of perceptions and sensations than what they ordinarily do. What, one thing hypnosis is not is it's not sleep. Although the, the origin of the word hypnosis comes from the Latin word which means sleep, it's really not a sleep state. And if you look at EEGs of people who are in a hypnotic state, the, the brainwave pattern is not the same as someone who's sleeping. So you don't necessarily sleep during hypnosis, although if someone's very tired and sleepy and then they're experience hypnosis, they might fall asleep during that time. But uh, it's, it's not a sleep state. It's a, usually a relaxed state, and it's a state of very focused concentration. How long does a normal hypnosis session last? That can vary. If you look at the research that we know about in terms of circadian rhythms, in other words, for all people, we have kind of normal cycles of activity and rest uh, in the course of the day, and same at night as well. The periods of rest in between activity in our uh, circadian rhythms tend to last around 20 minutes. And so interestingly, 
it so happens that most sessions of clinical hypnosis will tend to last about 20 minutes. And I think it's because that corresponds to the natural circadian rhythms in our brain. Now, sometimes hypnosis can be used uh, in much shorter times. If I'm, for example, consulting in an emergency room or someone's in a crisis situation, you can use hypnosis quite briefly, perhaps even in three to five minutes, to help someone reduce pain, reduce bleeding, or something like that. But for the most part, typically it will be about 20 minutes. What types of health problems respond well to hypnosis? There is a vast empirical scientific literature that documents the use of hypnosis for a variety of health problems. I am a co-owner of a pain clinic, and so one of the applications I use hypnosis for most often is the treatment of all kinds of different chronic and acute pain, headaches, back pain, fibromyalgia, neuropathic pain, and any kind of pain symptom, really, cancer pain, is very amenable to hypnosis treatment. Hypnosis is found to be very helpful in digestive disorders. In fact, with irritable bowel syndrome, which is a very common digestive problem that people have, hypnosis is effective with like 95% of the patients who use it, as well as being helpful with uh, reflux and ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease as well. Hypnosis has been found to be helpful for dermatology conditions, in infectious disease conditions, uh, there's a Dr. Carol Janandez at Harvard who's actually studied the use of hypnosis to accelerate bone healing after bone fractures. So really, it's helpful with managing blood pressure, helpful with symptoms of diabetes. Really, every area that you see in primary care and specialty care, uh, hypnosis has been shown to be quite useful. Also, hypnosis is really valuable in helping patients prepare for surgery and other invasive procedures. If someone uses self-hypnosis before surgery, they tend to have less pain, less anxiety, they have uh, less post-operative bleeding, uh, quicker return of uh, appetite and, and bladder and bowel functions. And patients often use hypnosis to prepare for invasive procedures like a breast biopsy or endoscopy or colonoscopy as well. Speaking of invasive procedures, I'd heard that hypnosis is now being used by dentists today also, which is probably a great thing since so many people fear the dentist. Right, absolutely. Yeah, there's there's wonderful applications of hypnosis in dentistry, whether it's to reduce anxiety about going to the dentist or anxiety about needles, anxiety about drilling. Also, there are dentists who treat TMJ, temperamentibular disorders. TMJ joint is the, the joint that connects your jaw to the rest of your skull and head. People can have a lot of problems in that jaw joint that can create jaw pain, headaches, facial pain. Hypnosis has been shown to be really, really helpful with reducing those kinds of symptoms and when people clench or grind their teeth. So yeah, there's a, a number of dentists using this and in the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, we have a number of dentists who are using hypnosis to help their patients in these ways. Listeners, if you're enjoying this podcast, then you'll love my new book. The second edition of How to Unbreak Your Health is your map to the world of complementary and alternative therapies. It features a new user-friendly format and 339 new and updated listings in 150 different categories. And you can get it on Amazon.com or at your local bookstore. Hypnosis can also be used to find the root of a problem like a traumatic event so that it can be addressed with psychotherapy too, can't it? That's true. 
when someone is, you know, a trained psychotherapist, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, a marriage and family therapist, a social worker who is well-trained in psychotherapy can use hypnosis to help someone get to the origin of some problems. This is something that you want to do quite carefully. It's not something that I would just advise anyone without training to do, but it certainly can help in that way. There was a controversy about 10, 15 years ago about what was called false memory syndrome meaning that some people were concerned that in working with patients who had been sexually abused, that clinicians could somehow implant false memories through the use of hypnosis. So well-trained clinicians know that memory is fallible, and so they're very careful about going back into past events and saying we can, we can retrieve a particular memory. Research tells us that memory retrieval is quite undependable in, as far as what the research tells us. But that being said, Hypnosis has numerous applications in psychotherapy, whether it's to get back to the origin of a problem, whether it's to help somebody deal with their emotions more quickly and more effectively, to help someone exercise better boundaries, to help someone feel less depressed, less anxious. The applications in psychotherapy are really invaluable. What's the difference between stage hypnotism and clinical hypnotherapy? (laughs) The difference is about as great as it can be. Stage hypnosis, or well, let's just call it stage hypnosis, is the type of thing that unfortunately has been many many people's introduction to hypnosis, where at a party or a gathering, someone who has learned how to, to put someone into a trance state will bring people up from the audience and they'll make them do funny or silly things with hypnosis. They'll make them bark like a dog or quack like a duck or, or do various either silly or kind of outrageous things. Clinical hypnosis is very different because clinical hypnosis is practiced by a licensed health professional who's trained and licensed in their own profession and then uses hypnosis clinically as a particular tool to help someone with the healing process. It's a much more carefully done process as well. There's many unfortunate things about stage hypnosis, but really one of the worst is while it's quite easy to get someone into a trance state, the real technical skill is what do you do with someone once they're in that state. And, you know, if you have someone who's unstable, someone who's had some abuse history, and they get before a stage hypnotist, sometimes they can really be put in a very bad state. So our organizations have tried to limit stage hypnosis, but courts have said, well, that's still free trade, and so we couldn't stop that. So we really try to take the route of education and letting people know that what happens in stage hypnosis is very different than what happens in clinical hypnosis, and that clinical hypnosis is is much safer, much more respectful, and is really very much a healing tool. Speaking of training and education, are there state regulations regarding hypnosis? Hypnosis is regulated in different kinds of ways. There are different levels of preparation and certification for someone to use hypnosis. So, for example, as a psychologist or a physician or dentist, if you've had proper professional training in hypnosis, you would list that among your areas of specialization on your license. So there would be that level of documentation. The proper training for any health professional to go through to do hypnosis is to take a course something like what we offer through the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis or the Society of Clinical and Experimental Hypnosis. There's an introductory 20-hour course where you're taught the basics to begin doing hypnosis, the do's and don'ts, the contraindications. 
And then all responsible clinicians who practice hypnosis will get some kind of ongoing consultation to make sure that they're doing it properly. The professional organizations will offer certification if you've had a certain number of hours of training and, and supervised experience. And the highest level of certification is being board certified by the American Board of Hypnosis in either psychology, medicine, dentistry, or social work where you go through a written and oral examination by your peers and then you're considered board certified in that field. That's, that's really the higher, highest level of credentialing. What's the best way for someone to find a hypnotherapist? The best way for someone to find a reputable clinician who does hypnosis, I would say, is to go to the website for the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, which is ASCH.net. They have a searchable database on that website, and you can search by state, and you can also search by specialty and come up with all the clinicians in your area who have reached the levels of training and experience to be part of the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. And that's a really good way to start in terms of finding a, a good clinician for doing hypnosis. I know both the American Medical Association and the American Psychological Association recognized hypnosis as a valid medical procedure in 1958, the National Institutes of Health recommended hypnotherapy as a treatment for chronic pain since 1995, so it's really a well-accepted therapy, isn't it? That's right. It's very well-accepted. It's interesting. I just wrote an article about that very topic in the recent issue of the American Journal of Clinical Hypnosis that, you're right, the AMA and the APA recognized hypnosis as a valid medical procedure in the late 50s. I think the reason that we didn't see more of it earlier on, though, is that the 50s and 60s were a time of great expansion in technological medicine. CT scanners, new medications, new technologies, so that more low-tech, high-touch treatments like hypnosis weren't, there wasn't as much excitement generated, and frankly, you know, pharmaceutical companies weren't backing it. But in recent years, as we've had the brain scanning technology to show how the brain gets changed by hypnosis, it's, it's being much more widely used. And so now hypnosis is being regularly taught in many medical schools, dental schools, and uh, graduate doctoral psychology programs as well. And hypnosis enables us to capitalize on the mind-body connection in new and just fascinating ways to deal with health problems, doesn't it? Absolutely. My area of interest and specialty is in integrative mind-body medicine, and people who operate out of that paradigm know that, that all people have inherent self-healing resources and that sometimes in illness and disease it's hard for them to access those resources for their own healing. Clinical hypnosis is a wonderful way to access those internal self-healing resources and is an essential tool in mind-body medicine. I teach it all the time, and when I'm lecturing around the country involving mind-body medicine, I'm always mentioning hypnosis as a very central and important tool. Dr. Weisberg, I'd like to thank you for taking the time to talk with me today about hypnosis. Happy to do it. Anyone wanting to learn more about this process should check out the website for the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis at http www.asch.net. You've been listening to the podcast edition of Unbreak Your Health, discovering the world of hope and health known as complementary and alternative medicine. I'll be back next week with another edition, but to learn more about our guest today, please visit the podcast page at www.unbreakyourhealth.com. We'd love to hear from you about this program. Please send your questions and comments to info 
at unbreakyourhealth.com. This program is a joint production of Unbreak Your Health and Loving Healing Press. Thank you for listening. I'm Alan Smith, and I look forward to being with you again soon. 